Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that as we come to your word, it's relevant to today, although written so long ago. And we pray that you will speak to us. Open not just our physical ears, but our spiritual ears. And help us to do what the people did. They did what they promised. In Jesus' name. Amen. Nehemiah was a very interesting character. Uh, He had a good job as cup-bearer to the king. Whether that involved wine tasting, I'm not sure, but it sounds like a good job. But he was also a man who was very emotional. Emotional and a man of of vast experience. In chapter 1, we read that he wept. Really? Do church leaders weep? Yes. Chapter 2, we're told that he was afraid. Yes, he was a man who trusted God, but he was afraid. Also in chapter 2, we read that he was mocked and he was ridiculed. Into chapter 3, he oversaw a massive building program. Read that through at some point, and you will discover how often you get the phrase, they laid its beams next to him, and then next to him, and then next to him. There was a teamwork building this wall around Jerusalem, where they all took their part. But when we come into chapter 4, we find Nehemiah and the people facing opposition from outside, as well as finding hindrances within. The opposition that came from the outside were these Sanballat and Goshen and, and, and so on, and they were standing back and looking and said, what are you feeble Jews doing? And they were having a laugh. And they looked at them and said, you're not going to finish that in a day, are you? Come on. Will they bring these burnt stones back to life? Why? Even a fox climbing on the wall would knock the wall down. Give up now. Quit while you're ahead. Not only did they face that ridicule, but they faced a threatening enemy. An enemy who said, even though we are around, they won't know that we're there and we're going to put a stop to this nonsense. We're going to kill them. And that will finish it. They faced an angry mob. Probably chanting at them. Stop, stop, stop. And laughing at them. And not only did they face opposition from outside, they faced hindrances within. There was a dispirited workforce. They were exhausted. There was so much rubbish. Do you remember this hall before it looks as it looks now? There was so much rubbish that had to be got rid of before the new work could start. And this is what Nehemiah faced. There was so much rubbish inside the city walls where they'd been broken down. They had to clear it in order for them to start the new build. And they were a a fearful people. Wouldn't I, wouldn't you be fearful when we had these threats against us? They were afraid because they were under attack. 
But through all that's going on, here is Nehemiah, a courageous leader. And the reason why he's a courageous leader is because he trusted in a God who is faithful. A God who never changes. A God who is always there. So how did he react and respond to all this? Go back into chapter 1. When he first heard the news that the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down, he wept. When he, in chapter 2, went around looking to see what he could do, he not only wept, but he prayed. And he prayed again. And as he went round with a few of his men, he recognized that God was going to enable him to rebuild this wall. God was going to give them success. This is what he prayed as we come into chapter 4. Hear us, O our God. There was that pleading with God. And he says to the people, listen, don't lose your courage. Don't be afraid. Why not remember the Lord? Isn't that what we had sung to us? Or were we singing at the same time? How great is our God? And he prayed, our God will fight for us. He had that trust rooted and grounded in God, even when the situation and the circumstances seemed to be set against him and the people. So when the threats came, as we read in chapter 4, when these threats came, Nehemiah had a practical solution. He wasn't just, just a spiritual leader that his head was so far in the clouds and his feet were off the ground. No, his trust was in God, but his feet were on the ground. And so what did he do? Half the workforce worked on the building of the wall, and the other half of the workforce, he armed them. He armed them with shields, with spears, with bows, with armor, so that the people who were ridiculing and the people who were attacking them were going to say, oh, we better be careful. He was a practical man who had practical solutions as he trusted in God. And it seems that apart from Nehemiah, there was this whole sense of helplessness and hopelessness. And if we come up to today, don't we find exactly the same thing? That there is a sense of helplessness and hopelessness, both personally, within our community, within our nation, and right across the world there's the sense of helplessness and hopelessness. What do we do? Where do we turn? How do we get? What do we do next? Let's remind ourselves this morning, as Nehemiah reminded his people, that in the midst of that helplessness and hopelessness, there is God. The never-changing, the ever-faithful God. Remember the chorus? When the road is rough and steep, fix your eyes on Jesus. He alone has power to keep. Fix your eyes on him. Jesus is our greatest friend, one on whom we can depend. 
He is faithful to the end. Fix your eyes on him. So the lesson from chapter 4 is that they're in, they're in a tough place. They're facing opposition from without and they're facing hindrances within. But Nehemiah is saying to them, keep going. Keep your trust in God. Or as Cromwell once said, trust in God and keep your powder dry. Have that faith, but also have your feet rooted on the ground. But as we come into chapter 5, we see, we see more hindrances within. We've had the rubbish that has to be cleared away. We've had the fear of the people within. Now we've got the problem of greed. And the problem of greed is rampant, not just among the people, but among the people of God, the Jewish people. There were those who, who were rich. But they didn't share with their neighbours in a time of great need. Is this a challenge to us as the people of God? Is this a challenge to us as human beings? Do we share with those in need, whether they're people of God or just fellow human beings, do we have deep pockets but short arms? And these grievances that we read in chapter 5 weren't against the ruling authorities. They were against fellow Jews. There were those who had large families who needed to get grain to survive, but they were struggling because of the shortage of funds and the shortage of supplies. There were those who didn't have any money, so they mortgaged their fields, their vineyards, their homes in order to get food. There were those who were borrowing money in order to pay the king's taxes. The king's taxes which should have been used for the improvement and the empowerment of people were being used to line the king's pocket. There were those who were sold into slavery. Both children and also the adults being sold into slavery in order for them to get money, in order for them to buy food, in order for them to survive. And they were powerless because they'd handed over everything, including themselves. And all that is set against God's clear instruction which he gave to Moses which is recorded in Exodus 22. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it as a business deal. Charge no interest. Here is an example of man's inhumanity to man, and we see it right the way down through the generations to today. Maybe we're guilty. So... How does Nehemiah respond? Well, in chapter 1, we're told, when he heard about the the, the breakdown of the walls around Jerusalem, he was angry. In chapter 5, he's moved on a bit. He's very angry. Beware a church leader who is angry. Beware a church leader who on a Sunday morning runs across the stage and goes out of church. He was very angry. 
But he didn't act on that anger straight away. We're told he pondered. He applied his mind. What am I going to do? How can we put this right? He didn't jump in into the deep end and then wish he hadn't. He started at the shallow end and he thought about what he was going to do. And then he took decisive action. And the decisive action he took was, first of all, to accuse the officials and the nobles And secondly, he called a community meeting together. He didn't have a little council meeting. He called the community together, probably in the open air. And what he said to the nobles and to the officials was, hang on, this is not right. And he asked them some very searching questions. First of all, he said, what about your conscience? In chapter 5, we read these words. What you are doing is wrong. Not what you're doing needs to be rethought and reformed and maybe a different way of looking at it. No, he went straight to the chase. You're wrong. Second question he asked is, what about your theology? Should you not fear God? And then he tells them, he reminds them who God is. When he says, should you not fear God, he talks about God being awesome. He talks about God being the God of the universe, as as we had in our song. God is the great creator of the universe. Should you not fear God? Where's your theology? Or do we just put God on one side and say, not important today? he says what about your testimony because the way you are behaving is going to cause the Gentiles to reproach you is that what you want is that how you're going to react in situations that the Gentiles are actually going to turn against you and maybe turn against your God because your testimony is shot through and then he reminds them of his own example listen I've lent money I admit I have lent money to help somebody else, but I have never charged any interest. I'm not making out of what I'm giving. I'm giving because I want to help somebody else. So what about your commitment? Are you willing to give back what you have taken that doesn't belong to you? Are you willing to repay? Are you willing to help your fellow Jews to get back on an even keel? Are you willing to get these people back out of slavery? Are you willing to get families back together again so that we can continue the work? Yes, yes. I'll put my hand up. Okay, then do it. Honor your promises. And again, Nehemiah reminds them of his own example, of his commitment to God. Yes, I lent. But I never asked for repayment. Yes, I lent. But I never charged interest. Why? Because I believe and trust in God who is going to be able to bring us through this crisis. And because of that... Not only am I committed to God, I am committed to other people. As governor said Nehemiah, I could have a feast every day of the week. 
In fact, he outlines at the end of chapter 5, read it, what, 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 he, got, what he got for Sunday lunch. It's, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing. It's one ox, six choice sheep, some poultry were prepared for me. What's for lunch today? But he said, I didn't sit there while everybody else was having their sandwiches. I invited them to the table. So we had a great big Sunday lunch together, eating the same food. So if you're committed to God, then be committed to others as well. And so the challenge for us today is, am I committed to God? God is committed to me because he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is God's commitment to you and to me this morning. And what he longs for is that response of commitment to say, God, I'm yours. But the challenge then is, if I'm committed to God, God says, now I want you to be committed to other people. Remember the lawyer that came to Jesus and said, so who's my neighbor? And Jesus told the story that we know is the story of the Good Samaritan. And he turned to the man at the end and says, okay, so who do you think, who do you think showed mercy? Who, who do you think was, was, was the best neighbor? And the, and the man said, well, the one who showed mercy. And what did Jesus say? Well done, you've got the right answer. No, he didn't. He said, go and do likewise. Am I committed to God? And God help me to be committed to other people. God help us to be committed to each other. And God help us to keep our promises. Because remember, if they hadn't kept their promises and gone back together again, the wall may never have got built. As it is, it only took 52 days to build the wall. 52 days to build a wall around Jerusalem. Gracious me. It would take the council 52 days to open the envelope. Commitment to God. Commitment to others. Let's pray. Father God, whatever you want to say to me today, help me to listen. Forgive me that sometimes I might say, oh, that was a really good message for so-and-so or so-and-so, or oh, I must make sure they listen in to that. Help me to apply today what you want to say to me and what you want me to do in response so that as an individual but as a people together, we are not only committed to you, but we are committed to each other and we are committed to those around us and across the UK and across the world. God help us in Jesus' name. Amen.